So why don't we open up the word to the book of Luke? <laughs> Not Luke Fillin, Luke the doctor. Chapter 4, starting in 14, verse 14. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went through all the surrounding region. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up, and as was his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he'd opened the book, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him and he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. If you place this in the life of Jesus, uh, Jesus had um, been baptised in the river by John the Baptist. And you know there's that famous scripture where the Holy Spirit lands like a dove on Jesus and then he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness full of the power of God and it's there that he's tempted by the devil. And he's in the wilderness for 40 days and he's fasting and he gets to that end of the 40 days and you remember that he's so hungry and the devil presents him with some freshly baked bread uh, from Baker's Delight or whatever, Lobethal Baker, whatever it is. And the, and the Lord says, a man shall not live on bread alone but by the word of God. You know, you remember that. It's after that time in the wilderness that he walks back into Galilee full of the power of God and he starts doing this preaching tour essentially through all the different churches, all the different synagogues uh, in, in that region, all through that region of Galilee. And he ends up back in his hometown. He ends up back where he grew up, where he spent all his life, and, and, and amongst the people that knew him best. You know, he was amongst his family. He was, it's this small town, Nazareth. You know, and I grew up in a small town, and, and I know what it's like. Everyone knows your business, right? Everyone knows you. You know, you play footy for the local footy club. Everyone knows you're there. And then things would happen. I'd do things and my dad would find out before I'd even gotten home. You know, like everyone knows your business in a small town. Everyone knows what year you're in at school, who your teacher is. They know who you're dating or who, who you know, whether you're not dating. You know, he, they know everything about you. And so here Jesus comes back to his hometown and they say, and he, and he makes this bold proclamation that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he says all these things that the Lord is there to empower him to do. And I can just picture this small town, all these uh, people, you know, the local grocer, the, the butcher, the teachers, the one that taught him in Sunday school, all these different people, and they're saying, hang on, uh, you're Jesus, you know, because we know him as Jesus Christ. We know him as our Lord and Saviour, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, but they knew him as probably uh, Jesus the Sunday school kid or Jesus, you know, the, the little kid that I taught through school or Jesus the guy that played on my, uh, on my football team or, you know, they know Jesus in a different way. And then he's making this bold declaration that says, I'm not just Jesus the carpenter, I'm not Jesus, the one who was brought up by Mary and Joseph, who, who, who had a vocation that may have looked like this 
or may have done things that look like this, but I am Jesus, the one who is anointed by God to bring change. I am Jesus, the one who is here to heal the brokenhearted, to, to set the, at free the captives. You know, Jesus is, is making this bold declaration. Now, the reality is that we all have a higher calling. We all have this higher calling. And, and Jesus may have had this secondary calling, which was he was a carpenter. He, was a, he worked with his hands and they might have said to him that, no, that's who you are and that's all you should be. But Jesus is saying, I have a higher calling. That higher calling to set the captives free, to preach the gospel, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the to recovery of sight to the blind. This is Jesus saying to his audience, and I can just imagine them all looking at him going, oh, hang on, uh, that's not who you are. Uh, you're Jesus, the guy that fixed my table. You're Jesus that made my bed. You're Jesus who grew up with my son and your best mates with Johnny down the road. You know, this is what he's saying to them. And the reality in our life is that people may know you as one thing. People may know you as just a factory worker or just a teacher. You know, your kids will know you as father or mother. Your, your wife will know you as husband. You've got many functions and many roles. You might, be, uh, you might be a blacksmith. You might be a baker. You might be a candlestick maker. I don't know what your job is. That isn't your primary calling. That is your secondary calling. Every person has a primary calling and it's the same call that Jesus had. You have a higher purpose. You have a higher calling than just what it is that you're doing. Now, what you're doing is great. You're outworking the call of God on your life. It is the call of God on your life. You're where you are for a reason, for a purpose. But you are there for a higher purpose as well. Your purpose is to see God's kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. Your purpose is to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Your purpose is to bring light and to bring hope and to bring peace into every arena that you operate in. You might be a bus driver. Well, be the best bus driver you can, but bring peace into every person that you meet. You might be a school teacher. You might be a baker. You might work in Foodland or, or wherever it is that's your vocation. Your vocation is your vehicle to see your higher purpose outworked. Your vocation isn't your be-all and end-all. You're not just a mum. You're not just a husband. You're not just a school teacher. You're not just a uni student. Those things are awesome, but that is actually just a vehicle for you to use to bring God's peace, God's love, God's hope into every area of life that you operate in. You know, vehicles are all designed with one purpose in mind. You might have a, a, a 50cc scooter or you might have an F-150 truck or whatever it is, they're designed with one purpose in mind and that is to get you from point A to point B. You know, some of us have nicer cars, some of us have older cars, some of us have smaller cars, some of us have bigger cars. doesn't matter about the car, they've all got two things in common. They're designed for the same purpose but they also all require... One thing to get them going. You see, it doesn't matter how nice your car is. You might have the best reddish-purple BA Falcon in the entire parking lot, beautiful air conditioning, 
a uh, great CD player and sound system. You might have GPS in there. You might have uh, all the airbags that you need. You might have an amazing car. But unless it has fuel in the engine, your car is worthless. Unless your car has fuel in the engine, it has no power to do what it's called to be. Now, I remember um, one of my mates was getting married when I was younger um, and he had a, had a Bucks party. And what we did is we all went to across Adelaide. There was 30 of us and we all hired scooters. Like not the scooters that we have at the moment, like proper 50cc scooters. So there was 30 of us. It was like a flock of seagulls all driving down Anzac Highway, all on these scooters, trying to, you know, as a bunch of boys will do, trying to go as fast as we can, trying to do some jumps. And I remember I was getting low on petrol and I I thought, I'm not putting in 91 petrol, I'm putting in 98 petrol. I would have put jet fuel in there to see if I could get it to go faster. I wanted this thing to go above 60 um, and I think I got it to 64 or 65. Uh, It's actually really intimidating when you're going up Main North Road and there's trucks going past you at 80 kilometres an hour, semis going past you and you're on a little scooter wobbling all over the road. Um, The thing about that scooter is that it needed power. It needs power to go. And in the same way that your vehicle, your vocation is a vehicle to see your higher calling outwork, you need power in your vehicle to see it get and to, to fulfill the purpose that God has placed on your life. You need fuel in your life to get you from point A to point, to get you to do what God's called you to do. You see, uh, you can go through life, you can uh, have a great job, get a nice house, uh, build your share portfolio, uh, you can uh, get a boat, you can have multiple cars, you can have investment properties, but all of that means nothing at the end of the day because none of that will come with you. The thing that matters the most is that on the next life, who's going to be there that's as a result of the life that you've lived? You know, Sarah is a, is a, is a mother carer and she works out of the Lyle McEwen Hospital and she's been doing that a couple of years. And it's an amazing job and I'm sure she'd love to tell you all about it afterwards um, over a cup of tea. You know, one of the things that she does is that she goes and she visits new mums and she spends time with them and, uh, and whatever they need, she helps them with just over a few days. But... In her workplace, uh, she's been having conversations with with some of the people that she works with and has seen one of those ladies that she works with uh, come to church and give her heart to God. Yeah, out of everything that Sarah does in her workplace, that is the most amazing thing that we can possibly do. You know, uh, that person now who's saved, they're bringing another friend and they're seeing their family come to church and you see this thing begin to spread throughout the entire family and through their friendship circle. You see, our job isn't just to go and do our job well, which is great, but it's also you've got a higher calling, which is to preach the gospel, which is to see people saved, to see people one to your kingdom and one to the kingdom of heaven. And to do that, you need the anointing. You see, Jesus says that the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel. It doesn't matter how good my preaching is. If I don't have the anointing on my life, it's not the thing that breaks chains. You know, our singing and our guitar playing and our preaching and everything is just a natural act unless we have the supernatural power of God on our lives. You need the anointing of heaven. You see, in the Old Testament, you'd see a prophet would come and they'd physically pour oil over the head of someone and 
It was a representation of the Holy Spirit coming on someone for a specific purpose and for a specific time. We see it in 1 Samuel 16 verse 13 where David was anointed with oil and he's marked by God as the next king of Israel. He gets the spiritually, he gets the divine backing and the divine authority to outwork the role that God's called him to do. He has the power of the Holy Spirit released on his life. Under the Old Covenant and the Old Testament, the anointing for was, one, was for one person, for one purpose, for one period of time. Under the New Covenant, the anointing of heaven is available to every believer. You see, you have the, the oil of the Holy Spirit. If you're saved, you're baptised in the Holy Ghost, you have the anointing in your life. It's not something you need to earn or strive for. It's a gift of God. It's the grace of God. It's the anointing that brings freedom. It's the anointing that breaks the yoke. It's the anointing that leads people to salvation. The vocation that you're working in is the vehicle for you to outwork the higher calling and the Holy Spirit, the anointing, is the fuel that gives you the power to see lives changed. You see, it's not just enough to go to works and and, and hide our Christianity, to hide our faith in a bowl or to keep it to our 90 minutes on a Sunday. You know, I'm not talking about doing anything weird and, and being a, a super spiritual Christian that just goes in and, and, and causes the fire of heaven down on every other per- person in your, in your workplace, but we've got to be able to be comfortable with sharing the love and the peace that we have in our life with everyone around us. And you need the anointing. If Jesus had it, I want it. If Jesus needed the anointing to carry out his calling, how much more so do you and I need it to outwork our calling? And this morning I just want to look at quickly four keys to walking in the anointing. You know, it's a nice thing to say we've all got the anointing, but what does it mean to actually walk in it, to have that power, to have that fuel to be able to walk it out in our life, to be able to pray for someone and see results happen, to be able to witness and share a word of knowledge and and to see that break something in someone's life. What is it to actually walk in the anointing? The first key today that we need to walk in the anointing is to walk in righteousness. Now there's justifying righteousness and then there's sanctifying righteousness. You see, justifying righteousness is that righteousness that you receive as soon as you give your heart to God, as soon as you become a Christian, you are right in God's eyes. You are, you are right because of what Jesus has done for you, because of the grace of God. You are saved. You are born again. You're on your way to heaven, shouting victory. You know, you're saved and nothing can take that away from you. But sanctifying righteousness is that process of becoming more and more like Christ every day. You see, I don't know about you, but when I was saved, I wasn't perfect. And I'm still not perfect. Sarah reminds me every day. No, she doesn't. She tells me I'm perfect and I'm awesome. Uh, That's what I hear anyway. You know, we're all on this process. We're all on this journey of becoming more and more like Christ. And the thing that we need to be able to walk in the anointing is to be able to first walk in righteousness. Hebrews 12 verse 14 says, Work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life for those who are not holy will not see the Lord. The anointing and and sin are kind of like oil and water. The two don't mix. You know, sometimes we have things in our life and we don't know about it and we just live our life and we've got blind spots and we 
we live and we walk and, and we just do our life. But there are sometimes there are deliberate habitual sins that we walk in and we choose to walk in. You know, um, we watch things that we shouldn't be watching. We listen to things that we shouldn't be listening to. And we wonder why the anointing isn't flowing in our lives. You know, we get to work and we've just been listening to, to music that isn't godly. We've been uh, watching shows that we know that we shouldn't be watching. We're walking in different sins. Maybe we've got addictions and behaviors that, that we know we shouldn't be walking in. And we wonder why the anointing doesn't flow in our lives. We wonder why God can't uh, break through in other people's lives because we still choose to walk in the sins that we know that we need to put away. You see, you can't expect to have the results of the anointing while deliberately choosing not to walk in holiness. You see, God isn't asking for perfection. The only person that was perfect was Christ. But God is asking for us to take every day to continue to take a step towards being more Christ-like. It's to be able to open our heart up to God and say, search my heart, O God. Point out anything that offends you. Whatever that might be, you know, it might be uh, gossip or slander or it might be um, whatever it is that is in your life. It might be that when you're at home, you don't treat your family the way that you should be treating them. Whatever it is, you know, God just asks us every day not to be perfect, but to choose to walk in holiness, to choose to put one foot in front of the other. It's knowing that you have an anger problem and not doing anything about it. It's knowing that you've got a lust problem or an issue with honesty or, or an issue with trust or bitterness and choosing not to do anything about it. You know, sometimes we need to weed the garden before God can begin to work in our lives as well. 1 Peter, first one, 1 Peter 1 verse 13 says, Therefore gird up your loins of your mind, be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Be, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. You know, you can't operate a vehicle with dirty fuel. You can for a season, you can for a time, but if you've got dirty fuel in your engine, if there's contaminants, if there's things that shouldn't be in your fuel, sooner or later your engine's going to start not starting properly and eventually the engine will seize up because of the contaminants that's in it. It doesn't happen overnight. But if there's dirt in your fuel in your car, you drain your fuel tank and you put fresh, clean fuel in there. You know, it's the same in our lives. You know, if we're deliberately choosing to walk in habitual sin, you know, sometimes it might not be straight away that we begin to see changes, but I can guarantee you that you'll begin to walk away from God. You'll begin to take a step away from Him. You'll begin to not maybe coming to churches regularly. You'll begin to uh, stop doing your quiet time or reading the Word of God. It blocks the ability to hear the voice of God. You end up lacking power and resilience and you end up walking away. To walk in the anointing, we need to walk in holiness. We need to live clean and we need to get rid of the sin that so easily entangles us. What do we need to do? We need to repent. We need to ask for forgiveness and to turn around, to change our behaviour, to turn 180 degrees, to stop doing what it is you're doing, to get the help that you need from the people around you to begin to walk in holiness. Four keys to walking in the anointing. Walk in righteousness. And number two, remember 
routines. You know, there are routines that we have in our life, and I like that Paul shared one of his routines. They have dinner together as a family. That's one of the things that we do. We prioritise dinner together as a family, and we'll all sit at the table and chat about each other's days. You know, there's routines that Sarah and I have. We always chat, you know, at least uh, once a day. We'll talk on the phone and just talk about each other's day during the day. Um, we'll, we have date nights. We have all sorts of routines that we put in place to be able to ensure that we're tight-knit as a family. You know, I have routines that I want to make sure that I'm spending time with my girls because I want to be in their lives. I want to be close to them. I want to know what's going on in, in their lives. I don't want to be a distant dad. We have Friday, we have movie nights. We have um, different games nights that we do. We prioritise spending time together and we're very deliberate because I want to know my kids. I want to know what's going on in their life. I want to know how can I help them how do I need to father them? How do I need to uh, turn them or bring them around in a certain direction? You know, I want to spend time with my wife because intimacy is so important in a marriage. You know, sometimes we think of out of routine as, as a bad thing. You know, if it's a routine thing, if it's just routine, we should get rid of it and maybe not even do it at all. But the routine is the structure that keeps your life on the straight and narrow. The routine is the scaffolding that keeps you intimate with God. It's the scaffolding that supports you when everything else falls apart, when your life gets busy, when bills start piling in, when, when you find that you don't have the energy or the time to be able to give to your relationship with God. It's the routines that scaffold you and keep you up and to hold you when, you, when you're feeling stressed. Revelation 2 verse 2 Verse 4, it says, I know all the things you do. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You've discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. They've done everything right. But he says, I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the works that you did at first. It's time to return to the spiritual disciplines that we once practiced when we were new Christians. It's prioritizing spending time with God and having a quiet time with Him. It's reading the Word and getting to know Him through His Word. It's listening to worship instead of listening to 5AA or whatever it is that we choose to listen to. It's about getting God's presence in our lives and being proactive with it. Listen to worship. Spend time in prayer be in church every Sunday. It's the scaffolding that keeps us moving forward and able to walk in the anointing. This is how you draw close to God. This is how you learn to hear His voice. This is how you learn His character. So that when you're in a situation and you feel like someone that you need to pray for someone, that you've got fuel in the tank to be able to lay hands on them and give them a word from God. How many times have you been in work or been at school and you've just... Heard someone share their story and you just want to lay your hand on their shoulder and just say a quiet prayer, but we don't have the fuel in the tank to be able to do it. This is what we need to do to keep the fuel in the tank. Remember our spiritual disciplines. Reading the Word, listening to worship, quiet time, being in church. These are amazing things, but they're not things for my benefit. They're for your benefit, for you to be able to walk in the anointing that God has for you. And when you sacrifice your time, 
when you sacrifice your own desires, when you choose to put away those things that you might be doing otherwise and actually spend time in the Word of God or spend time in His presence, then your tank becomes full. You fill yourself up and your anointing grows in your life. It's time to come back to the spiritual disciplines in your life. Four keys to walking in the anointing. Walk in righteousness. Remember routines. And number three, rely on the Holy Spirit. You know, Peter didn't walk out on water until he stepped out of the boat. Safety and comfort and everything that you want in life naturally is found and represented on that boat. But everything that Peter needed was actually outside of the boat. It wasn't until he decided to to take the step of faith when his foot connected with the water that he was able to walk on water and walk towards his master. Miracles aren't found in the comfort or safety. Miracles are found in stepping out. Yeah, there's a guy at church in Modbury, his name's Bruce, and he's got this canary yellow limited, limited edition Monaro. Man, it is a beautiful Monaro. Like, it's, it's got a specific number. I think it's number 23. It came off of the line at Holden's. It's number 23. And uh, he looks after that. Man, he loves that Monaro. But most of the time, it sits in the shed. Yeah, because what if it rains? What if there's a dust storm? What if there's a bit of wind? And, th- you know, this beautiful car that was designed for going fast, that was designed and has a function of, of getting people from point A to point B, lives in the shed because of what if. And he won't give it to me either. I've asked many times. <laughs> I feel the Lord putting it on your heart, Bruce. You know, sometimes it's like us. We, we hold our faith and we hold... Hold, hold the presence of God inside of us and, and all he's asking for us to do is to step out. And we think, but what if? What if I sound like an idiot? What if I come across as, as, a, as that weird Christian? Well, what if, what, if, what, if, what if the presence of God doesn't show up? But what if he does? What if that word that God's put on your heart to share is the thing that they need that day? What if, what if that word of knowledge that you feel in your, in your heart is actually the thing that they need to bring breakthrough in their lives? What if... When you're hearing that story, all they want is someone to pray for them and for them to know that someone loves them and that someone cares for them. What if someone has been praying for that person to be saved and won to the kingdom of heaven for, for years and years and you are the answer to that prayer? Now, I don't want to be Bruce's Monaro stuck in the shed. I want to be the one that's stepping out because I don't want the what-ifs to determine my destiny. I want to be stepping out and saying, turn up, God. I'm, putting, I'm stepping out. I'm stepping out in faith and it's over to you. You weren't just put in your workplace or your university or your school to pass time until the rapture. You're there to be salt and light and to be a witness. Your vocation is the vehicle you use to enable you to fulfill the call of God. Four keys to walking in the anointing. Walk in righteousness, remember routines, rely on the Holy Spirit and release yourself. If the, uh, if the band could join me, that'd be fantastic. Thanks, Luke. You know, one of the biggest obstacles to us walking in our anointing is our own view of ourselves. You know, especially in Australia, we've got this tall poppy syndrome, whereas anyone who starts to be at least a little bit successful, then we feel the need as the greater community to do them a favour and humbly put them back in their place. You know, I can imagine Jesus as he's reading out this passage of scripture in his synagogue in his hometown and everyone's saying, don't you know who you are? 
Who are you to be declaring these things? Who are you to be stepping out? You're Jesus. You're from a single parent home. You're from a country town. You're, you're a nobody. You're just a carpenter. Who are you to be doing these sorts of things? It's that knowledge and that deeper thing within us that it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. I love this story in Acts chapter 4 where Peter and John are walking up to the temple and they get to gate beautiful and there's a blind man and he says, and he asks for money and, and Peter looks at him in the eye and says, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. So then they go about, this guy gets miraculously healed and they go into the temple and Peter just starts preaching. Peter just stands there before, the, before everyone in the temple and he's boldly and passionately proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to these people and they end up getting arrested by the teachers of religious law and by the elders and the rulers and they have to give an account before these rulers. And Peter the fisherman... Peter the nobody from the back blocks of Galilee. Peter, who was, who was the one who denied Christ. Peter, who was the one that tried to chop a centurion's ear off. You know, Peter, the wild one, he stands up and he boldly proclaims the gospel to these elders and to these rulers. And it says in verse 13, The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training. And they also recognised them as men who had been with Jesus. When the anointing of heaven gets on you, when it's in your life and it's working, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter your history, your past or your sins. It doesn't matter because it's not about you. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. It's not your past. It's not your mistakes. It's not your failures. It's not your embarrassment or pride that's on the line. It's not about you. It's about Jesus who lives in you. We need to put off the old man and put on the new man. Release your old man. Release your old hurts. Release the bitterness or anxiety or the depression Release it and give it to God and put on the new man. Every day when you wake up in the morning, Holy Spirit, I'm putting off my old man, I'm putting on the new man. I'm putting off me and I'm putting on you, Jesus. It's no longer me, it's all about you. You must increase and I must decrease. It's a daily decision every morning and even throughout the day sometimes when we need to stop and pause and we need to think, What do I need to do in this situation? God, it's not about me. It's all about you. Won't you stand with me this morning as we come to a close? Your vocation is the vehicle to you outworking your higher calling and your higher purpose. We all have a call of God in our lives. We all have something that we are called to do. We're called to be be salt and to be light, to be witnesses to Him to make disciples and to do that you need the anointing of heaven in your life. You need the anointing of God in your life. We need to release the old things, the old habits, the old hurts, the old anxieties, the old fears, 
We need to release them and give them to God and put on the new man every day. Put on the new man. Why don't we lift our hands in this place this morning? Holy Spirit, I ask for your anointing to fall on every person, to touch every one of us, that we may be filled with your power to outwork the call of God on our lives, that we would walk in righteousness that we'd remember our routines, that we'd rely on you, Holy Spirit, and that we would release the old man and embrace the new man, that we would put off the old and we would walk in righteousness and we would walk in the grace and favour that you give us. to release the old man, to release the hurts and anxiety, to release the, the old self and to walk in Christ. I feel like that's speaking to some people here this morning. I just want to pray for you. I don't want to call you out. I don't want to, I don't want to do anything too dramatic this morning, but I'd love to just pray for you. Instead of embarrassing someone and getting one person to put up their hand, why don't we just all lift our hands? So I feel like we could all do with putting off the old man. Holy Spirit, won't you work in our lives to be able to release the bitterness, the hurts and the anxiety, to release our pride, to release the opinions that people might have of us. You're just this or you're just that. And to know that it's you that walks in us. It's you that lives in us. The same spirit that conquered the grave lives in us. So as we go about this week, Holy Spirit, I pray that you help us to release those things to you and to choose to walk in the anointing of heaven into every sphere of our lives. And we ask it in the mighty name of Jesus. The church said together, Amen.